Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're joined by a woman who pulled off one of the greatest athletic feats in state history, running across Oregon in just over a week. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, in this episode, we have a really fun conversation with Emily Halnan, who last August set the record for the fastest time ever recorded on the Oregon section of the Pacific Crest Trail. The numbers jump out at you first. She ran 455 miles of mountain wilderness in seven days, 19 hours and 23 minutes. That was the fastest time ever recorded by a man or woman. It's true. The numbers really jump out, especially for anyone outside the ultra running world. She averaged 57 miles per day, typically running from early morning into deep at night. On an average day, she climbed between 6,000 to 9,000 feet, the equivalent of summoning a mountain the size of Mount Rainier or Mount Hood every day. Every single day, she climbed a mountain and ran 57 miles. That's bonkers. But this was far more than just an athletic accomplishment. Emily, who lives in Eugene, undertook this run to honor her mother, who'd recently died of a rare form of bone cancer. So as part of the run, she raised $32,000 for the Brave Like Gabe Foundation that funds rare cancer research. And the one thing that drew me to this story was that it wasn't about just a grueling trudge. It was something Emily undertook with a lot of joy. Like she had dance parties on the trail. Her friends invented romance novels to keep her occupied. And she made clear that it's okay to be an extreme athlete and love junk food. I wrote a pretty long story about Emily last year, but she was kind enough to join us for a 40 minute interview last week to talk about her motivation, inspiration, and how she actually pulled this off. A quick disclaimer, you'll hear a few gusts of wind in the background. We actually met Emily at Alton Baker Park in Eugene for a little socially distanced interview, so you'll get some sounds of the city as well. Yeah, this is a really fun one, though, and so without further ado, here's Emily. All right, well, I'm here today with Emily Hallen, who last summer set the record for the fastest time ever recorded on the Oregon section of the Pacific Crest Trail. Emily ran, hiked, trudged 455 miles in about a week while raising over 32,000 for rare cancer research and the Brave Like Gabe Foundation. I wrote a pretty long story about her journey last summer and I'm thrilled to be joined by her today. Emily, how's it going? Great, Zach. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here with you today. All right, so it's been seven months since you set this record, finished that journey. Um, you're running in honor of your mother who'd recently passed away. How do you look back on that immense feat everything that came with it has time and space like given you a chance to allow it to sink in no <laughs> not fully no um it's funny i could not have told you it was seven months i'm glad that you did the math on that yeah um we're like hitting the year anniversary of the pandemic starting and starting to really affect our lives and when i look back on being able to run the pct across oregon over the summer i feel a lot of gratitude for mm -hmm. the fact that 
in a year that has been so hard for so many reasons. Like you said, I was doing it after losing my mother and um, I've also lost my sister-in-law in the last year also to cancer. And um, the fact that through such a like horribly hard and stressful year, I was able to do something that stands out as one of the most meaningful and joyful things that I've done. And like you said, was able to raise all this money for rare cancer research at the same time. It, I, I appreciate that I have this like bright spot that um, that mm. defined a lot of last year amidst yeah. all of the the horrible stuff that we've all been enduring. That was, I think, one of my favorite things. That's one of the things that drew me to the story and then like drew a lot of readers to the story was that it was like this fun. It wasn't anything to do with the pandemic. It wasn't anything to do with wildfires that would come later. It was just like mm -hmm. this really fun, cool story. Did you, what was the feedback that you got when people yeah. started kind of knowing your name and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think like it was funny. Um, I was tracking the entire run through a satellite Garmin system. And so people could follow along and I think like as, as live as 10 minute increments of my progress on the trail. And I was shocked at how many people were following my dot moving at what like should seem like this little <laughs> snail space across the entire state of Oregon. But I think they were doing that because like you said, it was and just being engaged with my story and with the fundraising effort in general, because people were so hungry for something that was just like purely positive mm -hmm. and good and and not defined by the pandemic or the ways that our lives had changed for um, for negative reasons and yeah yeah and it also felt like I mean you know you you were very active on like Instagram and stuff mm -hmm. and it, it felt like if you were like tracking your progress and reading those posts like you could sort of like live through your experience a little bit yeah I think so yeah and my boyfriend was posting like Instagram stories and that cut like and they and a lot of I I tend to um, as as much as I may be suffering or in pain or tired during these things, I also try to infuse a fair amount of fun into them. And so I think like he was posting a lot of videos of like my crew, like having dance parties at trail intersections. And so I think that <laughs> people were like drawn to the ways that it was a like exciting thing to be following. So I want to talk about the different legs of your own because they're all, it's almost like little chapters in a, in a story, but I want to start here. Um, you average 57 miles per day. Now, I think I've backpacked 57 miles a few times in my life, usually over about four or five days. I guess my question is like, to get to that point where you, you can do 57 miles in one day over mountains and stuff like that, what did you have to do in your background? Like, what kind of training, like, how did you get to that point? Yeah, I mean, I'll preface this by saying that I wasn't totally confident that I was at that point when I started the trail. I had never done anything like that before. So it was a little bit of unknown territory as was training for it because mm -hmm. it was something that was like so, uh, so big. Um, so I think like when we chatted for the story you wrote last summer, I said that I had been training for it for like seven or eight years or even longer. And I think that's true both physically and maybe more importantly mentally is that I had done so many big adventure runs or races. I think I've now done like five 100 milers and I've done a lot of the big adventure runs like running across the Grand Canyon and back and running around Mount Hood and Mount Rainier and the Three Sisters and all of that. So I think like all of that cumulative experience of, um, of experiencing the, the fatigue that sets from so many miles and knowing that I could endure that and knowing the ways that I need to like train my mind to help me endure that. Um, and then, you know, last year when I decided to do this run, I, I certainly trained 
with some intention and and did a lot of did a lot of running. But um, I talk about my training like finding the sweet spot of what would get me physically strong without breaking me, um, which is kind of a, a guessing game and a gamble. <laughs> and so, but I think obviously it worked. I I found what felt like a sustainably high volume of running for me, and um, I was able to maintain that through running last summer. And and in that, I did kind of the the strategy with getting ready for really big runs is that you find ways to get kind of stupidly tired and keep running so, so that so that you experience that you can do that both physically and mentally so i think i told you like we did a like triple hardesty if people listening are familiar with hardesty is like a 3300 foot climb outside of eugene and we did it three times in a row which is also just like mundane and dumb and like it challenges you to like keep going past what feels like fun and reasonable um so things like that were were part of the training effort to get ready for it but you're 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 athletic your whole life and your, your mom was a big influence on your running so but it also came like later in life. So take me through her journey and how she was into athletics and got into running and inspired you later. Yeah, I would love to. My um, my mom is every reason that I became a runner. She, when I was growing up, was not super active. Um, and when I was a teenager, she had a health scare and had to have her gallbladder removed. And that inspired her to become more active. And so at that point, she was in her late 40s. Um, and she started walking for fitness and you know she would just walk a mile at a time at mm -hmm. first and then um it's probably not a surprise that my family has some kind of competitive gene <laughs> in us and so she eventually started race walking and got super into it and was was you know competitive in whatever way made sense for her and um and then she started running 5k's and then she started running 10k's and the year she turned 50 she ran her first marathon and i watched that and it was pretty hard to not feel very inspired by watching my 50 year old mother transform into a marathon runner um and so i decided i was going to try and run a marathon myself and um i did that a few years after she ran her first marathon and she as soon as i decided that wanted to run it with me so we we went to washington dc together from vermont is where i grew up and my mom was on her fourth marathon at the time and she ended up beating me by 20 minutes in that marathon <laughs> I, I had started off just very foolishly and went out way too fast and i remember around the halfway mark i saw my mom run by and it was the marine corps marathon so it was so crowded and i was just desperately yelling to her like mom mommy mom <laughs> and she just kept going she didn't hear me and and she ended up beating me by 20 minutes um and, and then she got into triathlons when she turned 60. She learned how to swim and got into triathlons. So she, she just kind of stayed endlessly bold in her athletic pursuits. And she was a lot of the reason that I did the same in chasing kind of bigger and bigger things and that I wanted to do this run in mm -hmm. honor of her um, was, was for that. Yeah, I mean, I remember you talking about wanting to do something big you know, um, after she passed away. Was it always going to be the Pacific Crest Trail? Was that something that stuck out? How did you how did you decide that that was like that was my big thing? Yeah. Yeah. It was for whatever reason that these things happened. It was it was the obvious answer. Um, when I lost her, I knew I wanted to do something big for her um, for that reason that she she was so bold and um, she continued after she was diagnosed with cancer. She was she just lived in the most beautiful, beautiful way. She had cancer for about 13 months before she passed and she continued to stay astonishingly, act 
astonishingly active um, through all of her treatment and she just found ways to still be joyful despite having this really grim diagnosis. And so wow. when she passed away, I knew I wanted to do something in that spirit and running across Oregon on the PCT and trying to do it faster than anyone else was just the thing that immediately stood out as what I would do. And I think it's probably because um, you know, I moved out to Oregon about seven years ago and it's where I've become a trail runner. It's where I've become a long distance trail runner. and the PCT has been a part of that in a lot of different ways. And I think being able to celebrate how meaningful the Pacific Northwest and the trails here have mm -hmm. been in my life was something that felt really important and, and wonderful. And um, I remembered hearing about when Brian Donnelly did this run back in 2013. And I think that kind of planted the seed. But like, I remember when he did the run, I did the math on how many miles he must have run each day. And, and I was just getting into trail running at the time. And I was just like, well, that's dumb. I can't, like, I can't actually do that. Um, but, you know, seven years later, I'm a different runner. And it seemed slightly less outlandish, though still kind of outlandish, which was the point. Yeah. So we talked about uh, the speed record. And what we're really referencing is this idea of the fastest known time community, which is a, a pretty big website and a place where people post and provide the times for, I think it's hundreds of, of different so. challenges. Like, Not more. it runs a wide gamut too from like well known speed records for like the entire PCT and then like really obscure mm -hmm. kind of random trails and stuff. But it's not enough to just like say you've done these records like you have to prove it so what were the some of the things that you did in setting up to be like okay i'm going for the fastest known time but you have to do a number of different things so so take me through that a little bit you do yeah it requires some accountability so one thing that they um encourage i think period but require for especially notable routes is that you announce your intention ahead of time so people do have the opportunity to follow along and i announced my run ahead of time uh, for multiple reasons but that was certainly one of them um and then i i think you have to track it i would have to go back and actually double check this but i think that you have to track it through multiple devices or mm -hmm. at least like it's a smart idea too so i had both my garmin in reach tracking me and then i also um i had always been very proud that i didn't run with a watch that was mm -hmm. like a thing i never did or I, I used to a long time ago but haven't in a long time oh. i was just like data it doesn't matter <laughs> and i bought a watch and now i use it all the time <laughs> but I, so i got myself a, a gps coros gps watch for the run and tracked via that too and uploaded everything to strava um, and then you also are encouraged, maybe required to, um, I think required to take photos that could show a timestamp and then write a report afterward and include the photos that have timestamps so that you can see where your progress is over the run. I think it's funny when Brian did the run, I think there was less sophisticated tracking technology. So he actually like pre-printed like business cards essentially ahead of time and handed them out to trail yeah, runner yeah. like or, or hikers so yeah. that if someone questioned his record he could be like you saw me in the middle <laughs> of this wilderness and um so yeah they definitely and unfortunately people have have um cheated for whatever reasons people cheat and so there's been i think greater and greater uh stress placed on 
I feel, like, I feel like this community polices itself extraordinarily well. Yeah, I had a section around like Mount Hood where I think there's maybe an old PCT and a new PCT or something. And there was like online commentary about like, she's not on the PCT and, and I was, but mm -hmm. like it didn't look that way on the Garmin map. And it was funny that I was like, who is that? Like, who are these people who are? They um, are out there. Yeah. They, they will keep you honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've done the preparation and the training. Um, you're set up to track this. You, you've announced it. So, you know, you're about to do it. You go down to the Oregon-California border on August 1st, 2020, and then you just started running that first day, 60 miles, and then 70 miles the second day. What do you remember about that? It must have been a blur through Southern Oregon. I wouldn't describe the whole thing as a blur. I would actually describe it as like glacially, painfully slow at times, just because it was so many miles. Mm. I mean, you know, it's funny, day one and day two were drastically different. Like first day, yeah, so there was just a relief in being out there. And also obviously like after thinking about this run for so many months, it felt mm. exciting to actually be doing it. Um, I would say day two, that feeling vanished pretty quickly. <laughs> and 70 miles felt like a lot um, from pretty much the very first mile. And it stayed a lot until the last, like the very last step of the day. Like even uh, my boyfriend was pacing me through, I think the last 17 miles of the day. And even when we were within like two miles of the trailhead, I thought we would like be there by now. And he, um, he'd be like, no, it's okay. We only have like two miles. And I was like, two miles, <laughs> so far. Um, so it was, it was a lot, but we, we got through it. Well, one of the things that I, that was fun about your story was it wasn't like a, you know, a joyless like trudge. There was, you know, it was a supported record and you had a big community around you, you know, helping you along. So what did your friends and family, you know, your boyfriend, what did they all bring to the table? Like how did they support what you were doing? Oh, in so many ways. <laughs> um, yeah, so my boyfriend crewed the entire thing with our puppy, Dilly. Um, he has uh, an old, when I say van, you're gonna picture like van life, nice sprinter, but it's not that, it's like a, a salvage van from the Friends View retirement community and still heavily branded as such. Um, <laughs> so that was our, our base camp mobile. Um, but I had, yeah, people, like you said, people, it was funny, I was like so scared to ask people to help. It's just hard to ask for help. And people were so excited to support in so many different ways. And so I had a lot of people who were eager to help me out. Um, so I was paced almost every single mile of the run um, and people ran anything from two miles with me to 60 plus miles with me. Um, some were there for multiple days. I also had um, like on, on day two, which was the 70 mile day, it was so hard. I had a couple of friends who were through hikers and they wanted to help in their like through hiking way. And there was there was so little access. That's part of why I had to do a 70 mile day. And so they hiked in and they were like just like they were like tell us what you want us to bring and i was kind of like would it be too much to like bring a jet boil so you can make me mashed potatoes and they're like emily this is what we do for fun all the time like load us up and so they put like a hammock and blankets and um hiked in and yeah people just i had friends that we talked about in our last conversation friends who surprised me with what people would call trail magic like surprise excitement on the trail um on my fourth day they showed up with a dairy queen hot dog and <laughs> french fries and a Powerade that they had put in their freezer the night before so it would stay cold when they found me on this hot summer day. And um, yeah, I, I had people plug in, in in so many different wonderful ways, um, whether it was cheering or pacing or showing up with really helpful support. Um, I was I was very supported in a, in a really beautiful way. I think one of my favorite stories was um, 
about the woman who had done the run before and she was pacing you for one of the days and like had touted the virtues of listening to romance novels yeah. while you're doing something like this. Yeah. Um, so t you, you have to tell that story, it's yeah. just too good. Yeah, no, it's great. It's also funny. I think what didn't come up in our conversation is the contrast with who was pacing me the next day. But yeah, so Danielle Snyder set the record on the PCT for women the summer before I ran it and I reached out to her to connect with her before the run and she immediately was just like how can I help you I'm so excited for you and we are now very good friends and she came down and she paced me for two of the days um, for sections of two of the days and when she did the run the summer before one of the things that she likes to do when she's on crazy long runs is listen to romance novels and I think that's hilarious and wonderful and I was just like so she's going to show up and when she's pacing me she'll have romance novels on her phone downloaded and we can listen to them when like I need something to help me keep moving <laughs> and so she showed up to pace me and I was like Danielle you have to play me a romance novel and she didn't have any downloaded on her phone for whatever reason and I was like well then you need to tell me a romance <laughs> story so she like invented a romance story that involved like random through hikers and herself and sure. um yeah and and this was like in the middle of the night in a burn zone and she was telling me this great made-up romance story and then the next day I was paced by my friend Daniel um, who is a new father. And when he started pacing me, he started <laughs> proving that he could recite children's books from memory <laughs> unprompted. So I went from romance novel to like hearing the stories that he reads his two-year-old. <laughs> so. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. All right, so one of the things that blew my mind about the trip and ultra running in general is figuring out how you guys get enough food to fuel this kind of undertaking. I mean, it almost sounds like as hard as the running itself is getting that food down. So first, what's an ultra runner's diet and what was yours like on this trip? Yeah, we eat a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I needed to eat a lot of food on this run. I will say I'm normally great at snacking and eating um, and I struggled with it a little bit on the PCT. Danielle, who we just referenced, um, called herself my snack sheriff because she had to keep <laughs> reminding me to eat and I was begrudgingly following her orders. Um, but uh, the food that we eat is generally pretty great. Um, we eat a lot of real food um, and probably what some people would label as junk food, but I don't think it's junk. Um, so like I said, my friends brought me hot dogs actually on multiple occasions. Um, I generally eat a lot of pizza. Uh, quesadillas is like a really popular, like my boyfriend was making me a lot of quesadillas and we had like guacamole. So I was like adding guacamole to them. Um, I eat a lot of like salty, snacky, like I love Cheetos. That's probably my favorite like trail snack chip um, and Fritos. Fritos are good. Maybe some Cool Ranch Doritos. Uh, 
Cheez-Its, Goldfish, um, lots of candy. I had a lot of like sour gummy worms and Skittles. Snickers is a popular candy. I had a lot of, um, this was a first for me, but it will not be a last. I had a lot of instant mashed potatoes on the trail and ramen, because those were both like things that you could make in a jet boil if people were hiking in to meet me um, that were hot. So that was like a sunset. It's cold. I'm not done running. This is easy to eat. yeah, my friend's mom, Pam Sheridan, shout out to Pam Sheridan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she made me carrot cake and she makes oh, inarguably wow. the best carrot cake in the world. And so I had some carrot cake on the trail. Um, yeah, all kinds of delicious stuff. <laughs> and is the idea just that you need to get calories so it might as well be like enjoyable to eat as opposed because I feel like, you know, people who like think they're into the outdoors or into the outdoors like have this idea that you have to have like a very like healthy like it's got to be cliff bars or it's got to be like you know this specific kind of thing or something like that and is that just a myth like is that a marketing thing what's going on i think it is a marketing yeah (laughs) i mean i think i mean if you think about what's in a gel versus what's in a bag of skittles i don't think that they're like you're looking for for like fast sugar either way and skittles are a much more enjoyable way to get fast sugar i think i've also like doing 100 milers have especially or like long adventure runs have found that like i just can't tolerate like gels i learned that a long time ago i I have not had a gel in a really long time Mm -hmm. um because i I don't want to have just gels for hours and so i think once you're out there for a long time like you just really crave and need like like a burrito or (laughs) bacon or just something other than just like a liquidy sugar in a tin package. So when you're running 50 to 70 miles per day, I mean, every day is going to be big. It's not like there's going to be any small days, but can you kind of take us through like a morning, afternoon and night? Like when are you starting? You know, what's the day like? And then when are you usually getting into camp? Yeah. So I would say I never started as early as I intended to. Um, And I always started earlier than I wanted to. Um, I probably aimed to start at five every morning and maybe started closer to six. I found that I usually had more to do in the morning than I I had given myself time for, which largely was like bandaging my feet or doing something to like manage blisters um, or getting gear ready. I had to like stuff all the snacks we just talked about in my pack and fill water and Mm -hmm. get all my electronics going. So I would usually start around six o'clock and then uh, I would say each day was like an average day was maybe 16 hours. So uh, trying to do the math on that, I would finish at like between 10 p.m. and midnight maybe Mm -hmm. um, depending on when I started and yeah a typical day was running Mm -hmm. (laughs) and doing like you said in the beginning it was also hiking and trudging and all the motions that were propelling me forward and at some pace Um, one thing that was lovely about the Oregon PCT is pretty much every single day had like a really notable and wonderful landmark Mm. as part of it and so I feel like that was how I thought about a lot of days was like today I get to Mount Thielsen and then I keep going, but it was like seeing Mount Thielsen from the horizon and then getting to Mount Thielsen and then putting Mount Thielsen behind you. And so that felt like how I marked a lot of the days. Sure. Um, and then also like 
the how you get supported on the PCT is very determined by where roads or trails intersect with the PCT. And so that was a lot of how my day broke up too, was like, I see my crew in 30 miles and 30 miles later, I get to my crew, I might get a new pacer, I would definitely get new snacks, maybe a dance party. <laughs> um, and then I would say that like pretty regularly, um, I mean, I had variations in how hard every day felt, but like pretty reliably the last 10 miles were like just pretty hard um, and stretched. Every mile does not feel like the same mile. <laughs> and the last 10 miles usually felt a lot more significant. I mean, you were doing a lot of running in the dark too. Um, how did that change things? And was, I mean, was there concern about like hitting a rock or like, like, like how did you deal with that in the dark? Like, did you have a big uh, headlamp on or how, take me through the, the nighttime section of it. Cause that would have been a lot. Yeah, I definitely had a headlamp. I think I always had someone running with me at night, which was part of it. Um, yeah, night miles are just harder. It's mm -hmm. your spirit sinks with the sun and they're, they're colder and darker and feel longer. You just want to be done. Um, you're not seeing stuff. So you're not motivated by like the beauty you're running through. I mean, there were certainly like nice moments of the night um, but they, they were generally a lot, a lot harder, but I did not, uh, I did not suffer any catastrophic falls from tripping on rocks or anything. <laughs> 70 miles, like that's a giant day, but you also mentioned that the hardest day was actually between McKenzie Pass through the Mount Jefferson wilderness and Mount Washington. So take me through that day. Like what, what made that one so challenging? Yeah, the weather was the biggest thing that made that day. Other things too. I mean, it was my sixth day on trail, so I was very tired and it still didn't feel like I was very close to being done. Um, but uh, I had not anticipated having anything other than like summer weather. I was running the first week of August and that felt pretty guaranteed. There might be some fluctuations in how summery it was, but um, I... I was pretty much just ready for summer weather and my friend Eric was pacing me for that entire day and he is also who brought me the hot dog on day four and when I saw him I was just like I'm so psyched for our day it's going to be so beautiful because like you said it's it's Mount Washington to Three Finger Jack to Mount Jefferson and like even though it was supposed to be one of my longest days I was just like but it's going to be one of the prettiest like I'm so excited for that day and Eric was like well the weather doesn't look great. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and it turned out that there was what I would describe as a winter storm that had moved moved in that day. Um, and it, uh, yeah, I think it's the most miserable weather that I've ever experienced on a run. And I think I was maybe the least prepared for it. I, was, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like I was being dumb out there, but I think I just, it was, you know, some weather is just hard to protect yourself against unless you're like running in like a, I don't even know, Gore-Tex shelter or something. Um, so that day, uh, a, a very precipitation heavy, very, very windy, very cold storm hit. And um, it, I saw my crew at mile 17 and the weather got significantly worse after I saw them. And so when I left them, I thought I was uh, overprepared for the weather. I had put on my actual rain jacket, which I like never run in and was wearing quite a few layers, had a winter hat, had gloves. And I would say within a mile of leaving them, the weather just plummeted. And it was very apparent that um, nothing was maybe gonna protect me from it. Uh, so I was I was pretty soaked, I was pretty cold and, and the wind was so bad. It's a very exposed day and 
we were on ridge lines for most of the day and we legitimately were like having our balance threatened by how windy it was like nearly falling over because the wind was so violent um and we were just soaked to our flesh and also it was very cold and and there's just nothing you can do about those things when you're in the middle of the wilderness and i i think i had to go about it was 30 miles which i think it took us like 10 hours before we saw our crew again and so just like knowing that you're that hopelessly uncomfortable and and cold and wet and miserable with with just nothing to do about it other than covering what felt like too much ground um was very difficult <laughs> so were you just getting pelted by like rain snow mix all day and then like into the night it, i mean it was not a rain snow mix it was i think just rain but like a cold frame. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were just getting pelted and it let up by the time we saw our crew. Um, but we still had, I think, 12 miles to go. Um, mm -hmm. And we saw them at about 10 p.m. And I like got into a sleeping bag and actually fell asleep. And Eric was like, Emily, we've got to keep going. Oh, and it was no. it was one of those moments where I was like, if I don't do this, I don't think I can get the record. And if I do do this, I think I still have a chance yeah. and and had to just keep going. So you had fallen asleep after a really long day of getting pelted by rain and in a cozy sleeping bag and then had to wake up like in the darkness and then just keep running through the wilderness. That must have been like, how was that last stretch? Horrible. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever been so <laughs> I also I was having some shin pain that day and toward the end of the run, I actually wasn't totally sure I was going to keep going because the shin pain had had gotten so bad. Um, but so like every step toward the end, like I was like, I'm generally a pretty positive person. And I was like swearing. My friend Eric was like, nice job, Emily. And I was dropping words I probably can't say on your podcast in response. And um, we we had to cross um, some pretty icy snow fields at the top of Mount Jefferson, not the top of Mount Jefferson, but as high as the PCT goes around Mount Jefferson. And um, because of that and some rocky terrain, the trail got really hard to follow. And so that was really slow. And then we were just like stumbling down this rocky descent into the campground as I was in a lot of pain. And it was just tripping. That that day actually was tripping on rocks <laughs> all over, just not falling. But um, yeah, I think we got into camp around 4.30 in the morning. So that was a an, an especially long and and horrible <laughs> so but, I, but honestly though like the thing that stuck out and when i talked to your friend about this the thing that blew him away most was okay so you get into camp at 4 30 a.m after this super long day you get to sleep for two hours or something like that and then you're up and doing it again i mean was there any point like especially there where you're like you know i like this idea um <laughs> but i don't know if i can keep going like take me through that morning a little bit yeah i mean yeah that morning was very hard um mm -hmm. because we we had finished around 4 30 in the morning and i was very physically exhausted i was prepared to push through some stuff but i i was in a place with my shin where i wanted to make sure i wasn't like doing something really dumb to push through stuff so i was like texting my physical therapist to get his opinion on whether or not i should keep going um so it was it was an emotional morning feeling that threatened but actually i wonder if like having that also jeopardized by something like a physical injury was incurred like was the this like realization point of how much i wanted to keep going that mm. i i didn't want to let something like that be the reason that i had to get off trail um but honestly i think like the 
the reason that I was out there to honor my mom um, made it almost a like, not even almost, it just was a to quit the trail for any reason other than like a broken shin mm -hmm. was just not something I was going to be considering. And I mean, I thought about her a lot while I was out there and it was a pretty powerful motivator to, mm -hmm. to keep going and to, to do whatever I could to, to finish the trail and to get the record. And so I think like that morning, like I knew how much I wanted it. I knew how much I wanted to do it for her. And I was pretty miserable and pretty tired, but um, those weren't things that were going to make me like take a, take a leisurely day mm -hmm. in the O'Lally camp area. Because you really couldn't, you know, if you were going to do this record, I mean, there's no real There wasn't breaks. a lot of wiggle like, room you, like, you can't just stop and, like, even rest for, like, a few, three, four hours, because, I mean, you have to make up miles with every, like, minute, essentially. you got to just kind of keep going, right? Yeah. I mean, it, the nice thing about doing a multi-day trail effort is there's, it's different than, like, if I'm going to go out and race a 100-miler, where it starts and finishes in one push, and whoever makes it to the finish line first is the winner. And like each day didn't feel like that because it, if I was a little bit slower during the day, as long as I made my miles and then kept going the next day, I was mm -hmm. doing what I needed to do to stay on record pace. So there was some relaxation and being able to like stop and sit down and change up my shoes and have a snack and not think that it was putting me back by like minutes. But once it got toward the end and knowing like if I don't stay on my mileage goal, it does like put me back like if I hadn't kept going for that 10 miles through Mount Jefferson wilderness like mm -hmm. I would not have made the record and yeah. so it was there's definitely some pressure with with that well one of the things that you talked about especially towards the end as things are, are really getting tough was that I mean you're raising money for this amazing cause the, the brave like Gabe foundation and rare cancer research so how, how much had you checked in with that and like were you were you checking in on how much money you were making or who was commenting or were you were you watching that very carefully um somewhat yes especially at the end mm -hmm. um i mean there definitely was so there was like a a day in there somewhere i'm trying to remember which day it was but my friend rachel who um who does this kind of stuff for a living she's very involved in nonprofits and fundraising and she like took over my instagram and started mm -hmm. um helping to to build the momentum behind it so some of it was out of my hands but i especially on the last day mm -hmm. um the record was was within reach when I woke up on day eight and I decided to post on Instagram that I was like, I was, I don't think I had shared that I was going for the overall record. And I, I did that morning. I was like, I'm going for the overall record. I have this many hours and this many miles to do that. Can you help me get there with donations to Brave Like Gabe? And that day was like the most phenomenal thing I've ever experienced in terms of people, just the outpouring of support and love for rare cancer research and Brave Like Gabe. When, I think when I woke up that morning, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say that I'd raised like $14,000. And by the time I reached the Bridge of the Gods, it was almost 30000 And that day I was like, I don't tend to look at my phone on trail, um, but I was refreshing like every time I got service or like I would come into a cruise stop and my crew would be like, you're up to $27,000. And um, and that that helped me so much that day to just feel how much people were inspired to to support this amazing cause that was so, my mother passed away from rare cancer and so it was so linked to both my mom and to Gabe Grunewald. And mm -hmm. um, it was, yeah, phenomenal to like be watching that on the show. That gave me, that boosted me a lot that day. So, you know, you get past, you know, the Mount Hood area, you're heading towards the gorge. 
how did you feel and like, you know, because you're doing a couple different things. You're coming towards the end of this long journey, but you're also chasing this record. I mean, did you feel pressure? Did you feel good? Did you feel nervous? Like, how'd you feel on that final, final stretch? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the final, final stretch was really emotional. It was also really hard. Um, you would think at some point you would feel like you were almost there when you proportionally have like 10 miles compared to 460 miles. But um, the last day, the, the, and especially once it got dark, was just so hard. Um, the descent into the Bridge of the Gods was so hard. Um, so I definitely felt a lot of just like the... And I was just like, like ready to break. Like I had just run across the state of Oregon in just over a week. So I was physically and emotionally and mentally exhausted. Um, but I was also at the culmination of this incredible thing. And I'm watching the support come in from Brave Like Gabe. I'm thinking about my mom this entire time. I'm, I, had, I hadn't talked to anyone about um, plans for the last day because I didn't want to count on when I would be done. And, um, but I had so many friends show up who just really wanted to be there and so as i got closer and closer to the bridge of the gods i started just seeing these like clusters of headlamps of all these people who were waiting there at like midnight um to cheer me across the bridge of the gods people would surprise me people who i knew would be there just but like so much love as i came into the bridge of the gods and support and so i was just i felt like everything as i finished like the relief to be done the joy to be done the just like both grief for my mom and also like feeling so close to her through this journey and um, the celebration of it. It was just, I think like every emotion I could have, I, I had as I got into the Bridge of the Gods. And did you know by, cause you beat the record, like the overall record by a pretty substantial amount. Um, I mean, did you know where you were and like what your time was versus whatever? Like how close were you tracking that? Yeah, I knew, I felt pretty, confident going into the day that I would that I could do it like I I felt like as long as I don't I don't know roll an ankle and have to like handstand my way into the <laughs> bridge of the gods um it felt like it was within reach um but I was definitely aware of it and I definitely like well I felt like it was within reach it also felt like you still have to maintain this like you know, steady progress toward, mm -hmm. toward and still cover this ground, which I think was about 60 miles on the last day, like maybe just under. Um, so I, yeah, I would say that I, I felt like I could do it, but also it did not feel like I had done it until I like got to the bridge of the gods. Yeah. Cause I, I remember you'd saying that, that like, you know, you thought it was within reach, but then for a normal person, like, it's like, oh, but you have to run 60 miles, right. which, <laughs> 99% of the population would be like, you could put a gun to the back of me. I couldn't run 60 miles. I just couldn't do it. So, <laughs> Right. It was, no, I, I don't want to dismiss the last day as like it was anything other than still a, a lot of ground to cover before getting there. So you pulled this off, like this just gigantic feat. You know, what was the feeling like? Was it relief at the end? Was it, was it pride? Like, I mean, how did you feel in the, in the days after it? And, yeah um i mean like i think in the beginning of the conversation you asked if it had sunk in yet and i feel like it still hasn't fully and i still haven't fully processed everything that i feel about it but mm -hmm. um i think yeah it felt it again it felt like like just like crossing the bridge it, there were so many emotions that um that bubbled up from doing it i i, I mean i think there's still some of like disbelief of like did I do that thing or did someone else like 
like body double for me <laughs> across the state of Oregon. Um, and also like for sure the gratitude of being able to do it. I think like I was so overwhelmed by the support I got both from friends and loved ones. Um, and then also the support I got just from everyone who was following the run and everyone who donated to Brave Like Gabe. And th that was such a phenomenal thing to be feeling. And, um, and yes, of course, like some pride of like, I can't believe I did this thing, this mm -hmm. really big thing, um, and excitement for that. And, um, yeah. And, and then of course, like the, there was a lot of, um, sadness over the reality of like the person who would be the proudest as my mom and not being able to like mm. call her up and tell her all about it was, was a super hard, um, emotion to sit with right after it. Um, so yeah, there was just all of the emotions. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. a very emotional thing. All right. So, I mean, you did this thing that is just mind blowing. I mean, is, would you undertake another challenge like this or was this like, was was this your thing or like, are, have you set up, like, would you run the entire PCT or like, have you, have you thought of other, <laughs> other that. goals? Yeah, no, I would definitely do another big challenge. I, I do, I have to admit, I'm a little like lost as to how to follow the run because it was so special and so wonderful. And there's a little bit of like, just, I, like I don't have the words right now even yeah. it's just like where do you go from there a run that was so special for so many reasons of being like this really emotional thing and then also like a really incredible physical feat and doing it in a place that's so special and meaningful for me like where yeah where do you go from there I don't know I definitely want it, it I will say that like a thing that I have felt in the wake of doing it is is definitely a curiosity and an excitement about what else can I do mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons we like do this stuff is because we once we do it we're like cool like <laughs> what next like what else um i don't know what that is yet but i'm i'm definitely yeah curious and excited to to explore more all right well i appreciate it it was really fun to kind of you know take this journey with you a little bit in in writing about it and uh, it was definitely inspiring i didn't really know that it was possible to run that many miles <laughs> over mountains down rivers and stuff like that in a day so cool thanks for sharing your story and thanks, thanks for so taking much. some time yeah thank you zach that's about all the time we have for today's episode. If you like what you heard, make sure to check out the full article Zach wrote after Emily completed her run last year at statesmanjournal.com. You can find all our previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com explore, or find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org.